Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am Comics Reviews Editor of Publishers Weekly and the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. Check us out on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes and on social media uh, on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. Okay, this week on More to Come, it's mocha time. Um, and But then we're going to segue back a little bit to uh, discuss WonderCon. Um, uh, DC's Rebirth new publishing initiative uh, and then we think we've got more than a few words to say about Batman versus Superman and uh, we'll take note of the upcoming Image Expo so the Mocha Arts Festival just this past That's weekend. That's right. Well, you know, uh, yeah, so we were, Calvin and I were both there. Yeah. Uh, new like location. New location. Yet again. Uh, but with, with white walls, as it seems to be the uh, Very the clean. Room. Very clean, nice. Lively yes. space in that sense. Yes, it just says, you know, it, uh, it's, you know, from the, the other spaces where it's been, and the last one was a nice space, mm-hmm. but, uh, very spacious floors. I kind of like walking in and being able to see the whole floor literally almost at one time. Well, except there was two floors. <laughs> I, well, I mean, you see the whole of right, each the, floor. Right, the floor that you were yes, on. Yes, when you go yes. on the first floor, you see the whole floor. And then yes. when you get upstairs, that's the same thing. You can really get a, like an expanse. Yes, view, I did. It, it, it was reminiscent of the Puck Building, which was the very first venue, the first mocha back in the early uh, Jurassic era. Um, I did hear, it was a really great show. Um... Despite the fact that everyone, you know, it's a very, very busy time. We had three weeks ago, we had C2E2. That was followed by uh, a, let's see, What's I think it? there Wonder- was a break. No, there no. was one week break, but then there was WonderCon. Mm. Uh, there was Dink. There was oh, right. uh, Mocha. There's now followed by East, uh, Emerald City, which is taking yes. place as right we speak. Now. Image yeah. Expo taking place. Um, so there was like basically four weeks where there was a con, a major con every weekend. And, uh, you know, nobody I talked to was raring to go for Mocha. Yeah. No one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that people, you know, at the Society of Illustrators who runs it weren't doing a great job, but just didn't sense much enthusiasm. So then it I maybe got losing there. some steam? Well, no, because I was going to say, when no. I got there, it was jammed. You hardly move. No. It was, it was packed. According to uh, the wonderful Anel Miller, the executive director of the Society of Illustrators, the you know the the organizer of Mocha, yes. uh, attendance um, in relationship to last year was down slightly from to six thousand. However, Anel makes the case that she doesn't think that the counting was very accurate mm-hmm. uh, last year, right? For what it's worth. However, just on the basis of economic activity. She said the six the six thousand that went here this year. She said was a great number. Uh, she got great feedback, according to her, and I got great feedback mm-hmm. from most yes. of the people that I talked to. On so did I, and I, I think it it, it really, uh, I think there's a lot of um, maybe I don't want to say resentment is too strong a word. There's a lot of concern over Mocha just because the tablecloths mm-hmm. are very high. very high. You know, mm-hmm. nice white walls and hardwood floors are not cheap in New York City. And it is one of the more expensive shows to exhibit at. A lot of people weren't there. Drawn Quarterly wasn't there. Koyama yeah. Press wasn't mm-hmm. there. Uh, the Canadians. I mean, let's face it. The Canadian dollar mm-hmm. is in the crapper. I could say that, right, Kate? Mm-hmm. Uh, dollar in the crapper. Um, hard to get. Hard to pay. Yeah. Come here to yeah. the United States. 
Um, and publishers have also expressed uh, some reservations about just the schedule that you were saying. Yes. That there's a show every week you right. they can't go to everyone. No, no. But but, but. despite all of that, <laughs> it seemed to be a big hit. Uh, she uh, <laughs> she said there was pretty much the same number of exhibitors as last year, which I think is around two hundred. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, yeah, I, it was packed both days. In fact, we were there at the end of the day. I mean, on the late on mm. on Sunday, and there were still people on both floors. There were, and and uh, I, you know, you hear individual pockets of people who don't sell their books. Um, a lot of times, in my uh, in my experience, a lot of times the reason why they don't sell books is because their books are not uh, don't have a following. So yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it did seem that publishers that had a following did quite well. Uh, her no brow did very well. I mean, fanographics. I mean, books were flying off the yeah. table. Uh, Kramer's are getting yeah, debuted. Right, uh, right. I have my precious copy here. So right. And didn't they have it. some copies of the um, the collected women's comics? They did. They had a yes. big signing actually. Yeah. They didn't sell all that because I saw some at the end of the day. But I think they bought. I think they did bring a bunch mm-hmm. of those. Uh, they had their Crepa book or uh, Crepax, Crepax, Crepax. That's Gary Grant. Oh yeah, yeah. How to say Crepax? That's awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, Forbidden Planet. I, you know, we, Calvin and I wrote a story for PW. Uh, Forbidden Planet, the retailer, had mm-hmm. a booth set up, and uh, Jeff Ayers, the uh, manager, was there, and he said he mm-hmm. did great. He, I mean, they mm-hmm. had bought some of their back stock of indie stuff, and he said they they sold really well. They also had Rebecca Sugar, the creator of Steven Universe, yes. mm-hmm. signing at their booth. So, you know, that might have been a draw. Yeah. Um, Noel Stevenson, um, National Book Award nominee, was there. Um uh, well, we mentioned the Women's Comics Collective there. Uh, Diane Newman was there on a, had a, on a wonderful panel. Uh, Phoebe Gleckner. Um, uh, R.L. Blackman was there. Yes. Sunny Lou. Uh, yeah. Yes. Sunny, uh, yes. Chan Char- oh, Char- Char- yeah. A masterpiece. Yeah. So, you, Buy it. you know, it really was a. Uh, I think a lot of people were downplaying Mocha, and guess what? A lot of everybody's fled to New York. I heard about three more people going going to Los Angeles uh, at the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know what? Indie comics are strong. New York is indie comics country. Yeah, that's true. Although, do we want to talk about the rumor? Well, that it, we I mean, it's out? not even a rumor. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I guess it's not a rumor it's, it's anymore. Not a rumor it's a rumor at all. It's, it's well, but, but if it's unknown. I mean, one of the things that people were saying is that Comic Arts Brooklyn, this similar but more hmm. curated show that's held in uh, November, won't be held this year. Now, this stems from the fact that the guy who puts on the show said it on Facebook. I mean, this is not a rumor. I mean, <laughs> yes, he said. I know. He's, right. Yeah, that's that's pretty much a statement. <laughs> yes, he made a statement, that, and then he took it down. I mean, I think oh, he said okay. that he is, and I asked him directly. And uh, Gabe Fowler, and he said, "I'm considering taking a year off, but I haven't made a- an official announcement yet." Which means, I don't think he's quite. I think he doesn't yeah. want to do it, but he hasn't decided to pull the trigger on yeah. not doing it yet. So, maybe he's trying to figure out if someone else can do it for him. Well, that also is always the, the Tom Sawyer maneuver. You know, I just love putting on this indie comics festival. It's the greatest <laughs> job on earth. Gabe's not very good at that. I, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's well, how you do it. It seems as though he'd rather do it by himself, though, than in collaboration. So that might have something well, to do with Well, that might have to do well, with why know, he burns out, you know, also. It's also when, yeah, I mean, they started out being three people doing a yeah. similar version, actually the exact same venue, uh, yes, called yes. the Brooklyn Comics and Graphics yeah. Festival. The exact same uh, concept. With, I mean, it was the same show, except that three people ran it. Yeah. 
And apparently there was a lot of division between amongst those three. <laughs> now it's one, and he's tired. So you know, listen, anyone who's uh, who's in a, a collaborative, uh, you know, relationship here on something uh, business venture, you know, just heed the story. It's like even if you hate it, getting a little help is always a good thing. And I think yeah. one thing we should mention really quickly, which we haven't done, is the venue that we're talking about. It's you know, Mocha is now at a place called um, what is it, Metropolitan, Metropolitan West. West? It's owned by the people who own the Metropolitan Pavilion. Oh right, yeah, that's what that's who's right over here in mm-hmm. Chelsea on yes. uh, what's that West Eighteenth Street? Yeah. yeah, right. I've been there. Yes, and, very and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's Forty uh, Sixth Street uh, all the way to the west side. You can see the river. Yes, from there. yes, yeah. it was a little out of the way, but yeah. anyway, you know what? Mocha's back. Yeah. Mocha's back, baby. Yeah. And it I was think a if Cab is not there, then I think people are going yeah. to uh, really appreciate Mocha all the uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there were um, all kinds of events up at Society of Illustrators yes. held in conjunction. Yes. Exhibitions. Yeah. Really great. Great show. Now, before that, I yeah. was uh, just, uh, you know, this is our, our, our confession time. This is our second attempt at doing this <coughs> podcast. But last week I was in Los Angeles for a combination of work and play which is really, in my life, always the combination, uh, you know, <laughs> where play is the salt that is, or sugar, that is sometimes sprinkled on the breakfast cereal or the oatmeal of work, yes, yes. but uh, for me. But anyway, that didn't happen, so we're going to talk about yeah. a few of the things that we went over. It's, I, as the podcast the producer, would like to apologize to all of you listeners, because unfortunately, the magic of technology cannot stand up to the brutality of being next door to a construction site with jackhammers. Yes, that was a little bit of a problem. Barking dogs and jackhammers. These are not the friends of podcasts. But uh, anyway, you there know, quick, uh, just, just, so I was at WonderCon, <laughs> uh, which is a long-running California show put on by CCI, the same folks who put on the San Diego Comic-Con. It was held this year in Los Angeles. And once again, I think nobody really knew what to make of this show. Uh, Los Angeles Convention Center is a notoriously awful place to hold shows. Uh, no parking, no place to eat, you know, homeless people, like, coming at you with baseball bats as you walk out. Wait, what? Well, that's how it used to be. It's exaggeration e- for effect. No, it's not even. <laughs> I know people who have been threatened by homeless people with baseball bats in downtown L.A., so this okay. is not even. But, um... Uh, I am here to say that, you know what, it actually worked out really well. Once again, it was, uh, I never, I felt more crowded at MoCA than I did at WonderCon. And they had a Lakers game, a Clippers game, and a Kings game uh, on successive successive days because hmm. the L.A. Convention Center is located right next to the Staples Center. So uh, the L.A. Live uh, arena, which uh, or area, which has been built up hmm. uh, for Staples Center, it's very vibrant. Um you know, everybody, except for Mark Evanier, I was reading his panel. He's like, I hate LA Convention Center. I have to walk a million miles. You know, he just had his knee rebuilt. I could see not wanting to walk. Uh, but, you know, he says he likes Anaheim. Uh, Heidi, personally. They're convention centers. They're all massive. Right, they are. And, you know, I. <laughs> if you want a big convention center, you need somewhere to put all the convention. Right, well, exactly. Yeah, and, and you have to walk. <laughs> right. I mean, I think. For me, the biggest takeaway, and I did talk to David Glanzer of uh, Comic-Con about WonderCon, and he said, you know what, we like Los Angeles. And L.A. Convention Center has been wooing Comic-Con for a decade. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think if uh, San Diego Comic-Con is trying to uh, get a viable suitor to make San Diego a little jealous, uh, I think L.A. is a very Uh, viable alternative. Yeah, and even if... Nothing goes through in that uh, would-be suit. There's the wonderful consolation prize girl of WonderCon that could go go. to 
uh, right right and i think uh yeah i mean it's going back to anaheim next year and i think for the next two years but uh i i think that la would welcome it back with open arms didn't you suggest something about a a two convention solution well, if you read our story <laughs> the story that i wrote about wondercon that's mm-hmm. exactly what david glanzer said he said they might even consider having three shows a year because they don't do anything in the fall so uh they might have a show in anaheim and a show in san diego mm-hmm. and a show in los angeles or maybe a show in san francisco and a yeah. show in in san diego and a show in anaheim and or los angeles so you yeah. know they're really kept their options open on this so mm-hmm. but the biggest news at WonderCon yes. was uh was the announcement of rebirth which we've been talking about here for a while uh you know this is as we've been talking about dc comics has not been doing so great for the last year and they've decided to perk things up with a new publishing initiative called rebirth so they really rolled out all the stops with a big multi media yeah. early morning rollout i heard all the dc creators had to get up at 6 a.m well actually some of them got up at 4 a.m to go. be there at 6 a.m to do a run through but anyway they yeah. had tough gig this comic book business i know right <laughs> yeah well i mean i will say that publishing initiative appears to be the word because it had been described as possibly an event but given that it appears not to actually have any event to the event. It's, that not is a re- to say, it's not a re-event, apparently. No, I mean, the event is, <laughs> Revamp, you know, reboot, look, the big relaunch. event is you going to your comic shop right. and paying and buying for some comics. And buying some right. comics. Right. That's it's, what they're It's not so for. much that something is happening inside the imaginary <laughs> DC universe that's big, like an alien invasion or anything. No. We had wondered what it would be. Apparently, there isn't one. It's just that they're reimagining their titles, which... More on that. Yeah, yeah. No. well, what did you yeah. go? Well, you know. New creative teams. I yeah. mean, that's what it seems to be. I mean, well, me. it was new creative teams, and yet a lot of them were the same. But they did have some significant new mm. ones, like Gene Yang. That uh, looks doing interesting. a new book called yeah. The New Superman, yeah. which mm. is a, Chinese, a, a, mm-hmm. a man from Shanghai, a young man from Shanghai, mm. uh, which, you know, what sounds a little bit more up Gene's uh, alley than, you know, doing events like, you know, War, Robin War. Uh, and also Hope Larson. Yes, yes, on right Batgirl. Girl. Yes, uh, Christopher I'm looking forward Priest to that. is coming back to do uh, Deathstroke, which is pretty interesting. He's a really excellent writer of the '90s and uh, kind of dropped out mm-hmm. of sight for a while. He wrote a lot of science fiction he in did. the meanwhile. Yes, he's been quite he's, he's been quite busy. It, just not I'm, in comics. Glad I'm, to see him back. I'm yeah. personally interested in All Star Batman. Scott Snyder's going to be doing the writing, and he's got a bunch of a bunch of all stars. John Romita Jr., Paul Pope, Sean Murphy, and others. Yeah, uh, that'll be doing the drawing. Yeah, it's says Tula Lote, uh, Afua Richardson. So basically, mm-hmm. Scott yes. Snyder. Yes, Afua Richardson of, as well. I guess instead of having to write two comics a month, uh, two issues of Detective a month or Batman a month, pardon me, he gets to write one book a month with all of his favorite artists. So you know what, Ghost mm-hmm. Scott Snyder, nice. And he was announced that he was also remaining uh, exclusive. So. Uh, and one thing that I am very much looking forward to is they are coming out with a Blue Beetle book again. And not only will it have Jaime Reyes, who is an amazing character who unfortunately was not written very well at the beginning of DC Rebirth, but it also has brought back Ted Card, both of them in one book. I, as a DC geek, am happy. It's the best of both worlds. You get to keep both Beatles. Right, right. <laughs> well, I'm actually. This is a question I want to show. I'm curious about the Superwoman issue. Is this an old character that they're 
or an Earth Two character. Well, got, there has been a Superwoman. I'm yeah. sure of it, but I. I but I, see, I'm I'm foggy, yeah. particularly on the. The name has been in, applied yeah. to a number of different yeah. characters in different contexts. Yeah, but I'm, it looks so interesting. Phil Mannis is writing it, I believe. Right. So it looks good. So right. what do you? Uh, so Kate, what do you think? Well, what I think is, I think I'm going to take them at their word when they said that the whole point of DC Rebirth is they started to get a bad vibe about the feelings of their customers. <laughs> that okay. people were at conventions were not asking them the usual questions about, ooh, what's going on with this character? Um, and so they started to realize this might be a bad sign, and when it combined with bad sales, they realized it really was a bad sign. So they decided to do something that, if it works out, is personally something I was thrilled to hear, which is they sat down and went, wait a minute, why do people like these specific characters? What is it about each one of these characters that people actually like? Which, crazy. given it's that, crazy. yeah, crazy idea. Which, given that these huge legacy universes of DC and Marvel are really character fueled, like the reason people keep coming back is they like these characters, they get to know them, they want to see more of them. That you know, thinking about like. If I'm going to do a book that has Starfire in it, why do people like Starfire? <laughs> Is it because she's mostly naked? Or does she have personality that they like also? Well, that's an interesting... You raise an interesting point, Kate. Um, you know, uh, there was... After the big uh, live-streamed event, there was a small press conference that was I was able to attend with uh, that where Dan DiDio and Jeff Johns and Jim Lee talked a lot more about it. And, you know, Jeff Johns is very much involved with this. He's said several times that they're sitting down and, you know, working, as Kate was saying, working with the writers... And he especially mentioned, you know, how great it is to work with Gene Yang. And, and, you know, apparently they're besties, by the way. I heard that that, that now Jeff Johns and, and Gene Yang are, like, you know, planning the whole takeover or whatever. But that's, <laughs> that's an exaggeration. But they're, anyway, they really like working together. Um, and, uh, you know, it was said, uh, you know, Dan DiDio came out and said kind of mistakes were made and admitted that, uh, Jeff Johns admitted that after the New 52, they hadn't really taken a lot of time or before the New 52, they hadn't really taken a lot of time to think about where the stories were going. Maybe that was a mistake. <laughs> so, And with DCU, from what I understand, this was like a thing of like, hey, we're moving across country. What do you got sitting on your desk? Okay, it's, our, it's, it's approved. And, you know, that didn't, there were some really great books and I think some really great creators on that line, but uh, I don't think it was, it was, uh, it was ill-fated. Let's put it that way. Well, you know what? What I wanted, I think, when I I threw this out when we tried to talk about this before, is for an old the old fogey fan who's a little dazzled and, and dazed and confused with the whirlwind changes in that seem to happen now periodically. Yeah, is this a permanent feature of the big comic book con- companies now that there's got to be some shakeup, no matter what you call it? Whether it's a revamp, a new publishing, is this revamp, what's reco- relaunch, is rebirth. this what what's needed every year and a half to two years in this super fragmented new marketplace where there's more comic books, heroes, pop culture franchises of all type coming at you well, in more ways than ever before. I think something on a low level one like Rebirth might be because Rebirth seems to be like a way of instead of making it look bad, being like, 
hey, it's a course correction. I mean, it's an exciting new direction. But what it really is, is a way for them to put a happy smiley face on all necessary changes that they feel they need to make. And so, you know, maybe that is good. Maybe it is good for them to go back and reevaluate their line, what's good, what's not good, well, and every and, few and years. And do it with a, as a and big then, rollout. And to, then to, make you know, a big like, hey, splash about pay it. pay attention here. Because, I mean, it seems to me they barely, you know, incorporated one set of changes before they're announcing a new set. See, I think, I think what's good here is that a lot of these events do try to change everything. And frankly, if you do that too often, it can be very bad. As witnessed Marvel at the very end of the 90s, it got messy fast. Whereas here, it seems like they're saying, like, we're not changing anything that's still working. So it's it's actually not changing everything. It's really just shaking up a few books. So characters aren't turning into totally different people. They aren't getting killed off. Right. We aren't, you know, in a parallel universe now. It's just like, hey, we're changing some books around. I think what was really... So it's not hard to follow. Yeah, it I, won't confuse yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I agree. And, yeah. You know, listen, none of, no one running DC is stupid. And, you know, we've talked about... I mean, how long have we been doing this podcast now? Four or five years? Four years. Four years. Yeah. And, you know, we have seen such a huge evolution of comics and its audience in yeah. those four... In just those four years. Holy cow. And, I mean, you know, Calvin, it's a great question. And... You know, you got to fire up your base somehow, yeah. you know, and nobody is, I agree. but the base is dying off, you know, and I mean, I think this is <laughs> that's something cause it's old. that's because it is old and I think well, people are aware of that. And, you know, is this going to draw young readers in? Is this going to keep them satisfied? Well, I, I don't know. I think I that actually either. focusing, like trying to get down to like focusing on each character's specific appeal could be something that would work for both audiences mm-hmm. that both. It might produce better books that, as we can see, better books tend to attract new readers more than not good books. Mm. Yes. Or books that are like, have drifted off of their main purpose, Mm -hmm. off into, hey, they're in space for a year, I don't know why. Mm. Um, And at the same time, like, again, focusing on the core appeal of a specific book will of course appeal to people who already like it Absolutely. so I think this could be something that could work for both sides that mm-hmm. both people who are like oh I'm new I don't know what I'm doing will be like oh it's issue number one it looks good I've heard good things and at the same time not scare off anybody who's already I, around I think all that's possible I, I, I am curious that as we entered in, like I said into this incredibly overbuilt now and lush and rich new pop culture landscape uh are we getting a group of fans that are that are invested in these characters, but perhaps only as movies um, and not as necessarily well, reading the, material? Because well, also we're hearing that the, the younger audiences that we're talking about, they're they're chasing image comics, not necessarily yeah. the big oh, two. Yeah, I, I think what I've seen, what I've seen just in my experience with just fans who I knew who are fans of other things, who are media fans, as it mm-hmm. were, who are starting to get drawn into comics by this superhero revolution in movies... Um, they don't have the same boundaries or loyalties that your traditional comic book right. fan does. Yes. You don't see a lot of people saying, I'm a DC person, I'm a Marvel yeah. person, I'm a manga person. Like, the new people, they come into the store, they're like, oh, that looks good, that looks good, that looks good. Like, they they don't want to have to follow 40 million different books in order to get their character. They don't care about what's going yeah. on in the universe as a whole. Just give them a book that's what they want. They're going to read yeah. that book. And they may not read any other well, Marvels, you know, or they what? may not read any other DCs. Literally, while we were standing here, sitting here, talking, I had an idea that I've never had before. And I Tell think me. it's pretty... Uh, 
um, kind of sum a lot of this up. You know, and we have talked about this quite a while. And, you know, Kate, you yourself, uh, I believe that you said that the first time you saw some of this was the Saturday, was the cartoons, right? Wasn't that yeah. your first exposure to these characters? Oh, yeah. Was the the television animation. Yeah. Okay. And, like, I do feel like the people, this is like X-Men TV show that was on the 90s, Batman TV show that was on the 90s were incredibly well, uh, important in keeping people interested, right? And not just the Batman thing, but the whole, like, Tim Deeney-verse yes, Tim- of DC yes. cartoons yes, yes, that yes, went yes, on true. for a long no, time right. and were... Like internally consisted, but not yeah. in a and, continuity and, and requiring way. And I think you see a lot of Wednesday warriors who, as as Dan DiDio used the phrase a few times, the Wednesday warriors who they need to keep because mm-hmm. that's a really great audience. I think a lot of people went from watching these weekly TV shows to becoming Wednesday warriors. Okay, mm-hmm. I think a lot of these new fans are from going to movies. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's no question about it. But I mean, it's like that's how they got into mm-hmm. it, and and I think that's the difference right there is that people got into it by this regular weekly mm-hmm. thing as opposed to people who got into it for a big splash event. Well, I yeah. I do wonder whether the fact DC is feeding from the audience from their television shows. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. Well, whereas, that's another. Whereas that's Marvel another is feeding primarily uh, yeah. from. Uh, movies Bingo. and from binge watch shows on Netflix, which again are mm-hmm. boom, flash in the pan, and then you forget about it for a year. Right. And I think it might be interesting to track the buying patterns of people who like episodic stuff mm-hmm. yes. and people who like big one and done. Yeah, we yeah. definitely were. And movie we're, people are different than TV yeah. people. And I, and I think the book trade is probably is added to that too, Absolutely. where we have people waiting for the trade papers to come out. They yeah. want to read, they want the, want the book to come out, they get the book, they're satisfied. I think the movie maybe people they buy, Maybe trade. they buy the first issue That'd to see what's, the first I, issue of the periodical series to see what's going on, but then they want the book so they and, can sit down and, and you know, DC, binge in another way. DC has been delaying the release of a lot of their collections. Mm-hmm. You know, So like some of the books that came out from the DCU have, won't even be coming out until well into the rebirth. Yeah. So that's, you know, whereas Image, and I have to say, even Marvel are really like, oh, six issues are out. Let's get that trade out. You know, so, um, yeah. It's a Which, very... personally, I really like. Of course. Because, like, I will buy my floppies like a Wednesday Warrior, but the fact of the matter is, oftentimes there are things I've forgotten about or mm-hmm. dropped behind. Right. And, you know, after you've, like, missed, like, four issues, you don't want to go to the back issue no, bin. No. You're like, I'll wait for trade. No. And the sooner that trade comes, the better. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, speaking of all, I think, that, you know, there's definitely more to come on this topic. Yeah. I think we mm-hmm. might, I think we might be onto something here. Uh, <laughs> the paradigm shift. But speaking of entertainment, this was also, that, that the weekend before last was also a very big weekend for DC for another reason. Mm. Because they, uh, it was the launch of, Batman versus Superman. Now, Kate is a conscientious objector. She will not go see the film. I saw it the Thursday, just to get it out of the way. Uh, Calvin saw it. I saw it, it the Saturday. The Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daytime. I just I, dropped everything. I am waiting for... I am interestedly watching what my geekish social circle say as they come back to me on the subject. And I am waiting for DVD. Yeah. Well, I I think your your move is well uh, well well founded because as they've said they're going to do the R rated version on the DVD and you know and maybe with all the un uncensored scenes which I think might be Zod's peepee I'm not sure. Well, no, <laughs> I was looking well, on during the film to well, see Doomsday, if they were going to show, Doomsday but they managed also, not to. Because Zack Snyder is uh, you know give him a lot of credit he's very unafraid of male frontal nudity and there is none in uh, Batman v Superman and I think that's something that's really missing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but. But I have also heard 
that uh, there are rumblings that for once the R-rated version is the one you should watch for plot reasons. Yeah. That Zack Snyder's well, brain works so R-rated naturally that he see- lost some of the plot in the bits they well, got for the R-rated version. I would like this, to see it. Calvin like. liked the I movie. I actually liked okay. the film. Now, now, let's just get that out I of have, the way. I, have, I liked it. Now, I've got, you know, I think a range of nuanced positions on it. <laughs> well, I would, I would like to hear. But, um, you know... I. I yeah, no, look, I, I, I've been hearing, I, I heard all of the material walking up to it. I have, uh, movie insider friends who said it was a disaster. Uh, you know, um, I read one of uh, your editors had a review up on the beat. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, he, I, I actually thought his review was fair. Um, uh, cause I understand, uh, the issues that people pick with the movie. My thing was that I thought it was, um, a really good attempt at, making a movie that was about something that tried to navigate a thought or two about the nature of uh, unexamined hero worship and vigilantes in in a democracy. I thought it tried to do that. Now, um, the movie, it had a somewhat Byzantine beginning. Uh, um, it, it's gorgeous to look at, I think, almost throughout. I like the, you know, it's a dark oper- operatic thriller. And the last quarter or so of it, maybe third, I think probably about a quarter of it, in my view, is just a straight-up kick-ass superhero flick with great, artful, explosive action in it. Wow. Well, do you think that maybe part of why people judged it so harshly, part, part, aside from everything else, is that it tried to be a movie about something, but people felt it didn't quite pull it off? Like, it got their expectations up? And then did not live up you, to them. I'll I think they you, tried to jam too much stylish did. material into too small a well, space. Well, listen, I want to tell you. Particularly at the beginning. I want to tell you. Calvin, I, I do agree with you in one sense, is that I thought that beginning was awful. The middle was was not very good. But the ending was kind of okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the rare movie. A lot, most movies start out gangbusters and then just kind of peter out when they go to the warehouse. Or, and or alternately, as witness uh, the... Wolverine movie set in Japan, they make sense right up until the last quarter of the movie where everything goes, oh, wait, we, what? He's a robot? I don't understand. We ran out of time. So, I, I, I mean, I agree, I agree that the ending was visually stylish. And look, I liked Zack Snyder. I liked Watchmen. I did too. I, I enjoyed I did Watchmen too. very much. I think it's un- very underrated. I enjoyed 300. I enjoyed, I've enjoyed all of Zack Snyder's movies. I've never seen Sucker Punch, but I hear it's awful. Um, so, the guy makes a more beautiful movie than than Christopher Nolan, than Joss Whedon, than anybody. I mean, they're, yeah. they're visually stunning. The, the fascist Superman sequence, yes. uh, that's the, also very confusing right. yes. when it comes in. But, but you know, I've been waiting for the ta- for the insider story to come out, and uh, today my wish was granted. Now, you know, the movie's made money. The movie oh, is, yes. a, is a hit, but it needs to earn out. Some uh, pundits vary between making $700 million and a billion dollars to make money for Warner Brothers. As we've been talking about on if, this podcast... If you need to make a billion dollars to earn out, you had a problem. Yes. But that said... But that's the, the bar. That's the bar. The well, they kind spent, of set that that's bar. Very, no, but they That's not a bar you can live up no, to. They, yeah. no, no. But that's what the well, Avengers made. Did. That's what it did. Yeah, but I'm saying you can't count on it. They you can't count well, on it. Well, I know you can't count on it. That doesn't mean you won't be judged by it. Million dollars yeah. to make the Avengers. Yeah, of course. Disney I mean, they would yeah. never have spent that much money yeah. on a movie. Uh, well, I, I understand. Yeah, no, I know they've spent so an they awful spend lot of money an on it. They spent an insane amount of because as we've been talking about on this podcast for the last two years, this movie is of crucial importance oh, oh, to Warner Brothers. Now, so today uh, in the Hollywood Reporter, my favorite showbiz writer Kim Masters. Ooh. 
who has been, you know, she's my idol. She's been at this for a long time, and she always has the best poop, the best inside scoop. She has great sources. So her story came out, and uh, the best part in it is that she, that the movie's been savaged. It's 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, even I don't think it's quite that bad, yeah. but, but anyway. Critics it, don't like it. Critics don't like it. Uh, she says that people inside Warner Brothers are genuinely shocked because they thought they had a real hit on their hands. So they had, and now they're saying, you know, Warner Brothers is on a losing streak. They have had so many movies that did not make money from In the Heart of the Sea, Peter Pan, ugh, uh, you know, The Man from Uncle. I mean, awful, awful yeah. movies. I, that, I will say, Man from Uncle was actually highly enjoyable if you tried to figure out what the hell they was were doing with good, Ilya. Was it as good as Swords of Shannara? That's what I want to know. It was It was a much better movie. It was... <laughs> So no, Man from Man from Uncle was enjoyable in the same way that Legends of Tomorrow is enjoyable, not the way that that Shannara is I gotcha, enjoyable. I got gotcha. that to say no, it is a giant grab bag of fan joy. We didn't come here to. We're talk. drifting away into yeah. kitsch, but <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's kitsch. It was fun, but anyway. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, but anyway, the, the even if Kate liked it, Kate alone did not make this movie a box office hit. No, it, it wasn't was a hit. It was the latest, and I mean, Warner Brothers has had a huge string of box office flops, and Batman yeah. versus Superman was supposed to lift them out of that. Yeah. And uh, you I, know, I think it's indicative of the kind of movies they've been hoping will make them money that they thought in the heart of the sea a movie about cannibalism and the starvation was what was going to be their big winter hit cheery topic y- you know i feel like that possibly guys if cannibalism is going to be your big hit that you're going a little too far down the dark and gritty path that's just me right but right. i mean look in some ways this may turn out to be the the best thing they could have had i mean this movie i mean the people in the audience where I saw it actually applauded at the end of it. The, a little kid behind me jumped up and yelled at the end of the movie saying, that was a good yeah. movie. Well, I, now, I'm glad that Calvin saw that because other, I've heard reports of I've, children jumping up in tears of, of so scared from, they peed their pants. These, from a, these a, are a, tough kids in my audience. Yeah, possibly. Because I had actually heard a friend of mine when she was writing her little review of it said that a small child left crying early in the movie and by the end of the movie she envied the small child <laughs> yeah well listen let me let me um well you know we should talk about some of the characters i mean i thought ben affleck was very good as batman frankly yeah, actually, i thought he did a good job i actually heard that too from people even who yeah. savaged the movie he that good. he would they would enjoy a movie about him as batman were it a different movie so that's a good sign for future movies that will still cast yeah. him as batman and and Everyone, everyone liked Wonder Woman. Oh, Wonder Woman was this stole the show. There's no doubt about that. Um, she has a presence. I forget what's her name. Gal, Gal Gadot. Gadot. Uh, I was I was dubious when she was announced. I thought she was too skinny. I was just like, what is this? I but was you know definitely she, on the not sure if want. She's train. got presence on the screen. She's got a terrific face. She's very yeah, she sexy. She was excellent. She was great, and she looks good in a battle skirt. Yes, yeah, she does. Yeah. She does. So no, she was absolutely the highlight of the movie. She was also the and only, she was on the screen very yeah. long. <laughs> well, but, but you know what? She was the only character in the whole film who ever smiled. She was the yeah. only one who knew how to smile. And, and emote. Uh, well, you had, a great, you had a great um, line about some of the character reversals that were going on. Uh, Lex Luthor was, had well, become no, the Joker all I of mean, a sudden. I mean, it is. I mean, that's not even, that's <laughs> even mine. I was talking to, to one of my beat writers, Brian Edward Hill, and he pointed out 
I mean, well, it's obvious that Lex Luthor is the Joker. I mean, he's acting like like the Joker all the time, although apparently he's actually based, based on Max Landis. Like, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, Catwoman, or, or excuse me, Wonder Woman is Catwoman. She's going around stealing things from Batman and driving off in her car. Yeah. I mean, this is classic Catwoman behavior. And, you know, I mean, there is a path. Like, for, you know, I, I just can't wait to hear the, the real postmortems on this movie because there is something going on. I, I'm just... I, I would love to hear well, that. Well, I'm going to read this, uh, this, uh, you know, uh, like basically DC is our, our Warner Brothers is already terrified about putting out this whole slate of movies. So they're pushed, they're bringing forward Wonder Woman, okay, which is in the can, by the way. Justice League. So when is it coming out? It's coming out in 2017, but it's coming out like a couple weeks earlier. Uh, so it doesn't go up against Transformers. Uh, Justice League is supposed to begin filming in, in a few weeks. Are <laughs> they really going to let Zack Snyder make another terrifying horror movie that doesn't make any sense? And I, I, I'm just going to read this little piece from, from the, the TH, the com- uh, Hollywood Reporter story. Several sources say Warner Brothers executives were convinced they had the goods and were shocked when negative reviews began pouring in. <laughs> now, with DC movies dated through 2020, the outcome has led to a flurry of rumors the studio make adjustments, maybe add a new producer rather than allow BVS director Zack Snyder to proceed with the two-part Justice League. Hmm. But sources with first-hand knowledge say the studio has no such plans. One says the filmmakers naturally will reevaluate what went wrong, but when it comes to Justice League, we're not going to take a movie that's supposed to be one thing and turn it into a copycat of something else. Well, I mean... I mean, I think that, as the words actually said, makes sense. But what this will translate to in practice, I have no freaking idea. I mean, I think, I mean, look, I mean, I've heard all kinds of horror stories about what goes on in Hollywood studios when they get the slightest bit of, like, apprehension about something. And I can't imagine that that's going to help any movie that no. was planned get made in a sensible way. No. If they start, like, adding producers and and trying to intimidate the director, uh, I mean, my biggest take on, on Batman vs. Superman is that, you know, it was maybe too ambitious, and remember, it is. This is not a, a Marvel movie. There's almost no humor in this movie. No. At all. Now, another rumor <laughs> that came out is that Suicide Squad, which opens in August, they've already set back for research to add more humor because well, humor is fun. But yeah, for they Suicide have, they, Squad, well, it should probably have some humor. Yeah, I mean, the whole some, point yeah, of so. Suicide yeah. Squad would be dark humor. One would think. Yeah. Um, but what I have heard is that it is not a rumor that has been sent back for reshoots. It, it's confirmed it's back for reshoots. It's not confirmed what it's for, but word on the street is humor. Um, <laughs> because it turns out this is... this is Note a, to self. Yes. People like humor. People like yeah, to laugh. Apparently, the, they're taking notes from the fact that while the trailer was a hit, the trailer supposedly, according to my spies, contains every joke in the entire movie. <laughs> yes, as did the Warner Brothers, the Batman versus Superman trailer. Every yeah, which had almost only, no jokes. There's only about three or four jokes in the entire two and a half hours. Yeah, so there's only two things. And that, you're not unless, even really supposed unless, to laugh at them. You're like me. I laughed throughout the entire movie, <laughs> but not because it was intentionally funny. But that's the thing. It's like an opera. Everybody sort of root it in one spot and then just give off soliloquies you know, and stare at you each know, other. You know, I'll tell you something. Something. There's a movie I, I hated when it came it. out, which was, uh, which or hated was, uh, that was a strong word, but I did not like Independence Day because I thought it was just mm. so stupid. And I liked uh, Mars Attacks better. You know, now now I was much in the minority on that. It was a beloved film that everybody watches. You know, yeah. now I watch it when it's on TV and it doesn't bother me as much. The harm is done. I guarantee. Well, why do you watch it when it's when on TV then? Well, because it's got Jeff Goldblum in it. I mean, come on. 
But uh, and Pam Greer. So, there you go. Not so bad. when um, so when uh, you know, Batman v Superman comes on TV, I'll, I'll watch a little bit of it, and I won't hate it the next time I, I see it. Uh, I'll just, but by then, an entire story will have been written. Oh, well, yeah. I, so I might go back and see it again. Well, I will say it has it has acquired one unexpected demographic. I have read in numerous places it being referred to by people who did not enjoy the plot as Batman v Superman Dawn of Kink because of the vast amount of of both dream sequences and actual sequences of um, manly glowering and forcing each other to kneel and heavy leather costumes and um, oh hell yeah yeah basically a lot of people were joking that this movie was as close to hate sex as you could get with a PG-13 rating. Well, I wouldn't disagree with that, actually. No. Yeah. No. So if if you like big strong men hating each other and punching each other, then, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I'll tell you, the Batman fighting uh, the kidnappers late in the movie, awesome. It is an awesome fight scene. No, there is some really good... Listen, I, I don't... Look, not to take anything away from Zack Snyder as a filmmaker. The only thing is... He is naturally a horror movie. He's a naturally he likes horror. Everything in the movie that was supposed to be horrific was great. It was really visceral and effective. Unfortunately, this was supposed to be a very entertaining film about the two greatest superheroes of all time. Well, once again, I, I thought it was entertaining. Now, remember, the, and I think also people forget this thing is this thing comes right out of Man of Steel. Everything yeah, in it yes. is directly related oh, yeah. which to everyone hated. Man of okay. Steel, which also everybody hated. So I do think so. And they're recreate. They're trying to recreate this moment that happened in 1937 with Superman, where uh, you know the world is realizing there's an alien among them. See, I felt that part was a good idea. I, I, I. Like the concept, I have no problem with the concept. As I heard it, I was like, I don't know if they can pull it off. But the concept of Batman being like, "Hey, you destroyed a city," and Superman being like, "Hey, I'm new to this man," is <laughs> is give me a break. <laughs> is is g- good and would made perfect sense for the characters and could have been a great story. It's just I think Zack Snyder is a very visual centric yes, director, absolutely. and and perhaps. Perhaps a little more focus on clarity of story would have made a movie that would have been amazing and made more sense to viewers who are yeah. plot-centric. You know, I, I, I have to say, wait, I, I got through yeah, this in there. Kate, I'm amazed. I, you, I'm fascinated. Because you've obviously read all about the movie. Yeah. So, so you, <laughs> you might as well go see it. You might as well just go see it. <laughs> no, because I do not subject myself to things that I know I will dislike uh, just to do it. Um, I'll but, you, but, but I'm also but just, you're, you're, but you don't want to experience it for yourself. Yeah. I, I will you're experience it. You're a professional it. comic book talker now. I, I am, and Pretend, I do, you know. and I watch many, many things <laughs> about comic she books. Watches, she watches The Legends of Tomorrow. Every and week. Well, I know, I know. So, you, yeah, guys, so. you guys and I even far watched, more than I do. I but. even watched the Flash Supergirl crossover, which, by the way, <laughs> was very I, good. Even I um, saw a big chunk of that, yes. Yes, I um, that was amazing. But they're so adorable, you just want to reach oh, it through the screen so and tweak cute. their cheeks. It was extremely cute. <laughs> the cutest superheroes on the planet. Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> DC, Warner Brothers, take a look at your TV division, and then look at your movie division, and see what the difference is, and why one is beloved, and the other is Well, you know what? Whatever but, you can say about Bat versus Soup, people are talking about it, and they're talking with great passion. That That is one true. One way or the other. But see, I have this miraculous thing called the DVD player. 
So someday soon, I will watch it on that with the ability to fast forward or hit mute. <laughs> well, right. I can't. And with cheap popcorn. Kate, Kate, I predict <laughs> you are going to watch every minute of this movie. Uh, I do too. Hey. Yeah, because there is something to be wondered at, of something of wonderment in every moment. Yeah, and, and I, I can always hit pause, it. eat some popcorn. It is a movie. Pour myself some whiskey. Yeah. It, yes. it tries to be about something. You know, yeah. you can decide or I not whether they succeeded. But it does try. Yeah, to you know, Donald Trump tries to be a politician. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna blame. We're not Bat even Merit's going to go there. We can blame a lot We're of not, things on Donald Trump. No, I'm not. No. I'm not gonna blame Batman. No. <laughs> oh yes, you know what? Our friend Rob Salkowitz just did that. He said he just wrote a piece today that was. Uh, yeah, I don't that, think he liked called, it. Batman vs. Superman is the superhero movie for the Donald Trump Yeah, to the Trump era. generation. So That's even, true, he did. Not yeah, even so. unique to me. <laughs> That's but true. anyway, okay, you know Rob. what? There's more to come. We're going to keep an eye on this and uh, see what's happening yeah. with uh, that. Now, um, so much has happened. So much has happened. Uh, you know, we said DC Rebirth was this big event. Uh, I, I do think they were trying to imitate Image Expo. And guess what? We just had Image Expo today, So, which is the... Uh, once a year event where Image rolls out uh, a load of books. And uh, so the big news today, I think the biggest splash, and I was not there, I had some operatives on the on the uh, on the scene but i think the biggest news is that karen berger was there yeah, so when great. she came out she got a huge pop that's on twitter great. anyway karen berger the um the uh, the force behind vertigo books uh, for many years yes. um, and uh now she is really only um she's really only editing a book that's mm-hmm. called i'm looking up the title of it here not even on my own website so that's awful but uh she is editing a book called uh What I'm sorry, there's a lot. They announced a lot of books. Where oh, Surgeon X. That's written by uh, a producer named Sarah Kidding with uh, John Watkins on art. But uh, Karen will be editing the book, so a little bit of a return for her. Yeah. For that. Uh, we'll see some of the other highlights that they had. Well, uh, this one, Calvin, you'd be happy to know. Ron Wemberly was there. They announced oh. that Image is going to put out a remastered version of Prince of Cats. Really? So, yes. Oh, that's Ooh, awesome. That is uh, a great uh, you know book we've championed here many many times. Um, let me yeah, see. he's a terrific artist, and that's a great book. That's that, in my view, is a contemporary classic. It is, it is, and I can't wait to see the the, the remastered version of it. Let's see, uh, a lot more science fiction books, uh, some horror books. Winnebago Graveyard sounded cool. It's a book by Steve Niles and Allison Sampson uh, about a woman, her husband, and a son who are on vacation in the Southwest when their Winnebago was stolen. They end up stranded at a town full of Satanists. Um, Yikes. <laughs> let's see now. Oh, this one is interesting. Um, this one sounds very interesting. The The Divided States of Hysteria by Howard Chaikin. Uh, it's about what happens right after the next major terrorist attack happens on U.S. soil. Oh, ah, okay. And, uh, so that should be pretty interesting. He, it sounds a little bit like American Flag reading, yeah. maybe. Chaikin admits the heroes of the book are bad people, adding, my villains and my heroes are frequently the same guys, just in different movies. Uh, let's see, Prince of Cats, um, Jen Van Meter and Rick Burkett are doing Prima about a ballerina, uh, who is a resistance fighter in World War II. Um, let's see, <coughs> oh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are back with, uh, Kill or Be Killed, another crime book, and let's see, anyone else? Jonathan Hickman has a very interesting book called The Black Monday Murders, set 
during uh, October 19th, 1987, when Wall Street crashed. And there, it turns out that there's a bunch of magicians who are creating the Wall Street crash. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Oh, and point of... We're I love it. Going to have a book called Glitter Bomb mm-hmm. that is described as Hollywood horror with the tagline "It is time to eat the rich for yes. real," following an actress who has aged out of roles and now seeks to bring the entire system down violently. Right, and another. Uh, okay, two more highlights: Moonshine from the team of Ryan Azzarello and Eduardo Riso. The 100 Bullets team is back, uh, so that should be really good. And it's about. It's about hillbillies uh, and werewolves during Prohibition. All right, so I was right up their their, uh, alley. Oh, and Motor Crush by the Batgirl of Burnside team of Brenna Fletcher, Cameron Stewart, and Babs Tarr. Motor Crush is about the world of illegal motorcycle brawls. And finally, Image announced Creators for Creators, a new nonprofit Uh that is going to offer a $30,000 grant to uh, one creator or a writer-artist team to uh, create a, a work of, of between, I think it's 86 and 112 pages uh, for a year. So it's kind of like a Zarek grant for the 21st century. Cool. All right. Yes. Well, Image uh, Expo has uh, shown itself to be an incredible platform for <clears throat> for making everybody pay attention to comics. I mean, <laughs> so um, can't of, wait to see more of these projects. Speaking of paying attention to comics, two major comics came out the day we are recording this, uh, April 6th, 2016. And that is uh, the new Ta-Nehisi Coates Black Panther and the new Poe Dameron book. Yeah. Now, uh, we have them here on Comixology and have looked at them. And uh, while I was intrigued by the Ta-Nehisi Coates Black Panther, all I can say about the Podameron book is, OMG, WTF, giant <laughs> blue space egg, what? Who wrote that book now? Let me look. Let's blame the writer. I do. Oh, I, I would blame the writer. Yeah. Because, like... The first half of the... I'm going to spoil it. I don't care. The first half of the book <laughs> is is like, hey, remember what we were doing at the beginning of the movie? We were looking for uh, for Luke Skywalker by looking for Lor Santeca. Okay. So this is right before it. And Leia is like, hey, Poe, look for Lor Santeca. And Poe's like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> hey, squadron, let's look for Lor Santeca. And then... Suddenly, when he lands on this planet, is like, hey, guys, have you seen Lor Santeca? They're like, there is a giant blue space egg, and we feel you are threatening it. And he's like, what? I don't know. What? And then they go on about the giant blue space egg that will birth their savior for about 10 pages. And he's like, I'm totally not going to blow it up. I don't know what your problem is. And then they're like, fine, I guess you're not going to blow it up. And then that's the end of the comic. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Oh, oh, and to add insult to injury... Marvel is charging $5 for this comic. Digitally, correct? Yes. And in print? Oh, yes. No. $5. There you go. $5. Oh, it gives you an extra 10 pages, an extra 10 pages of giant blue space egg, WTF. Mm. <laughs> okay, well. Uh, burn it to the ground. Uh, is there a Hopefully, giant blue space egg? You in, should write a review in, of that. Yeah, Kate, you should. <laughs> Kate should just do reviews. Yeah, like, right. You should do my audio reviews, actually. Uh, you know, maybe it should be a feature of our podcast. I know, we, should. Uh, we should do the Wednesday Warrior yeah, podcast. Okay. Well, well boy, whew, I am exhausted from all Well, you know, when you're catching up, you know, yeah. on, on all of this great comic book news, well, you can get a little carried away. Anyway, all right. But well. we do have some briefs for you, dear listeners. Oh, right. Yes. So, 
DC Comics has announced that they are bringing in new blood by starting a talent development workshop program. Um, They already did a pilot for artists last year, but this year um, they've worked out the kinks, they're ready to go, and they're acting like this is going to be an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. So um, they are taking applications from artists. Any artist who wants to try out can from April 1st through 30th. And they are taking applications from writers from May 1st through 31st. And writers need to have some professional credit of some kind. Um, They say, DC will only consider writers with current or past professional credits. We don't consider DC to be a first career stop, but rather an ultimate goal. Make of that what you will. But if you're trying to break into comics specifically, this is the way to go. Because um, they have not said exactly what the workshop will consist of for artists but for writers it will be a 13 week workshop which will be online and then some selected people will then go meet them in person and people who take part in the workshops for artists and writers will uh, be at the top of the pile of people they are considering for future work so this may be your golden opportunity future comic writers and artists of America check it out um, on an old favorite, The Tick is coming back to television, or sort of television, Amazon Video. And mm-hmm. long have people wondered who, who could possibly fill the blue antenna and booties of the previous Tick. The answer is Peter Serafinowicz, known for Guardians of the Galaxy and Spy and... Many, many uh, British television credits. Uh, The man has amazing comic timing and a wonderful straight face. The return of the tick. (laughs) The tick returns to a comic book TV screen near you, or rather a computer near you. And one more thing. Humble Bundle, beloved by now not only gamers, but comic book lovers everywhere, the site where you can go and see what currently is up for pay-as-you-will download with a portion of the money going to charity has announced their revenues for their new ebook program that's been going on for the last year or so. There, uh, they have announced that they have made $6.1 million on ebook. What percent of their ebooks are comics? Well, so, half. About half of them are comics. About half? About half, yeah. They did 31 bundles. Uh, 16 uh, were comic book related um, and brought in just over $3 million in revenue. So uh, Humble Bundle is an amazing promotional site that gets millions of visitors every week. And um, they use this incredible web formula. Essentially, you know, you get a small percentage of people who are willing to pay a small percentage of a massive number of people, and you can generate enormous funds of money. Uh, and one of the uh, and, and because a, a portion of the money goes to charities, um, an organization like the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, uh, as Charles Brownstein told me, the executive director, it's had a transformative effect on them, essentially delivering in them hundreds of thousands of dollars in um, donations. Wow. 
Uh, it has made a huge difference to the organization. They've been able to hire hire more people than, and carry out their mission, which is protecting your First Amendment rights to read what you please. So Humble, Bum, uh, Humble Bundle has really been an amazing uh, an amazing site for 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 for, for ebooks in general, um, um, because obviously half the thing is are for traditional prose books, but um, uh, comics uh, in particular have shown themselves to be a really popular category for them, and they've got more coming up next year. They're going to do uh, about fifty-two bundles next year, so stay tuned. And comics is one of the most popular DRM-free bundles that it. Uh, that it that it releases and and the DRM free is another key element of their uh, their their strategy. That's what people want. Okay. Thanks for listening to the briefs. Well, boy, whew, I'm I'm spent. Man. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I need a cigarette. Yeah. There's going to be <laughs> more to come.